Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. If you're a parent and you see what's going on today, there's so much happening, and it's scary as a parent. But then with the news and social media, you're trying to tell your kids and get them to understand why this is all happening. And it can be very difficult for parents to find the words to use. Well, joining us today is Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris. She is the chair of the AAP section on minority health, equity, and inclusion. Dr. Hurd-Garris, I'm so glad to have you joining us today with so much happening. And it can be such a scary time, as I said, for parents, but also for kids. Before we get into the words we need to use, how do kids process these kinds of extreme issues that we're seeing with all that's happening with the protests, brutality and race issues that we're seeing all over the country and indeed all over the world? How do kids absorb news and media? What have you seen? Thank you first so much for having me. I'm I'm happy to be talking about this issue. How however be it unfortunate to have to talk about it today, but I think it's such an important issue because kids are absorbing what they're seeing. They're seeing, you know, images on the media in the media and they're hearing things that it's hard to unsee and unhear. And so I think the first thing parents should really know is that Kids, although they're young, they are very aware of what's going on. And so it's our jobs as parents to be that kind of first filter of explaining what's happening. They're, they're seeing and hearing it all, even if you think they're not. That's certainly true. And, and I love that you said you can't unsee or unhear these things. And for kids, these can be some terrifying images. Now, Dr. Hurd-Garris, these are conversations that African-American families have had for generations, but not necessarily something other families have really discussed. Some have, some haven't. As parents, do we use past examples to help show how these kinds of issues can affect change, thereby helping our kids to make some sense of some of this stuff? I certainly think past examples can help um, parents illustrate what's happening right now. So situating um, our current day in our our previous day, for example, the civil rights movement, it's a really good example to show um, children that change can happen and 
the benefits that have come from movements such as the civil rights movement and many others. The double-edged sword with that is, you know, you talk about this big movement and Martin Luther King and all the freedom fighters and all the things that have happened, but then kids are so socially aware and smart and say, okay, well, why are we still having these conversations? Why are we still talking about this and doing this? Why are things still the way that they are? And so I think it is important to root in history and then also so say, you know, the civil rights movement didn't fix everything. It wasn't like a magic wand and everything didn't go to how we would like it to be. And that's why we're still having these conversations today, because otherwise they're confused. Like, why do we have to keep doing this every every 50 years or so? Because they're they're smart. Well, they are. And, and as a girl who grew up a Jewish girl and my parents, you know, kind of told us again and again about the Holocaust and the things because they said you need to use history. Those who do not learn from it are doomed to repeat mm. it. And so that for our family was the way that they would talk about that sort of thing in this historical context. So why don't we talk about social media for just a minute? Because you mentioned it. Do you think that this is making them smarter and more worldly? Do you think that this is helping them to, especially for kids, enlighten them or frighten them, as you say, or made it so that they can view for themselves what is really happening with these protests and, and the protests that are all over the world that we never would have been able to see? You know, I think social media with respect to what's going on now has definite pluses and definite benefits. Um, for example, kids are able to participate in activism via social media, so at a safe distance, so not, you know, putting themselves at risk of, of getting coronavirus or, um, you know, being out in the midst of things or environments that are unsafe. So I think social media for older kids, teenagers, allows them to engage in like social media activism. And I think that's a really important use of social media because when you're seeing these images and when you're feeling helpless, your gut reaction for many people is they want to do something. They want to fix it. They want to make the world better. And I think social media is amazing for that. Um, some of the downsides, as you know, to social media is that these images and stories and comments kind of live forever on the internet. So you, they're able to go back and see things that have happened, you know, five years ago, six years ago. Um, and that can, of course, add new, new and different kind of traumas, new and different exposures that you weren't anticipating because things live on the internet forever. And I think that's some of the hard part with social media is having kids engage with social media without um, being properly supervised. They see stuff that you may not um, that you may not be aware that they're seeing and you're not able to have the same kind of conversations you can around like a TV if you're watching the news. For example, as a family, if someone's just scrolling or a teen or adolescent is just scrolling and you don't know what they're being exposed to via social media. So it, it ha definitely has its benefits, but it has its drawbacks as well. So I would say to use social media with caution um, as parents. Well, that's a great point and so important, too, because as you say, these things live there for a while and the comments that some people make and I mean, people can be awful to each other and that can also really affect how a kid's mental health. And and as you mentioned, COVID, it's kind of all coming down at once right now. So it's it's really takes a toll as a teachable moment right now in this period, in this part of history 
Dr. Hurd Garris, what's the best way to go about talking to our kids about race and Black Lives Matter? And kind of give us some specifics and go through the different age groups. You have children. I have teenagers. You know, if you could start from the littler ones that may be noticing the extra stress around the house or things like that, kind of take us through the different ages as the best way to explain to them Black Lives Matter and racism in general and why this is happening right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's a million dollar question is how to talk to your kids about what's happening in a way that is sensitive and um, authentic to what's happening, but also to not give them, you know, not to take their innocence away. And I think that's many parents feel that, that they want to be honest and want to tell them what's going on. And at the same time, want them to still be able to be children. And I, and I certainly know many black parents feel that way. Like, why do we have to talk about these heavy issues about police killing and the devaluation of black lives when my, you know, my kid is like six or seven and I don't, I just want them to be a kid and go hit, hit the ball out in the backyard or walk the dog or whatever. Um, But with that being said, we are in such an important moment in our history that I think we would be doing a disservice to kids of all ages to not at least start a conversation. And so that conversation does look so different based on how old children are. And um, while, you know, I say this a lot, I really, really mean it. It's important for for adults, for the people that are going to be having the conversation with children, that they check how they're feeling first and their emotions first and put on their oxygen mask. Because if you are, you know, really stressed and have a lot of anxiety and you go into a conversation with the kid, they are going to pick that up and become even more scared, even more fearful than they would if you were able to do it in a way that you can still communicate what's happening um, and be able to manage and regulate some of your emotions. And sometimes that's hard. You know, you're talking about something and you get emotional. But so in general, for, for parents of kids of all ages, you know, check in, do what you have to do to help make help you you know deal with your stress deal with your anxiety before you have these conversations um i would say for the younger kids for all for all kids i think it is important to do this step but for certainly for the younger kids it's important to understand what they know you know so like to not go in and expose them and tell them all this stuff if they're not even you know they're not even operating from that place if you're going and you're talking about police killing and brutality and you know all these really heavy topics and they don't even know you know what's what's going on from the first place you could definitely introduce some um um some fear so what i like to do is say hey you know there's a lot of stuff been going on in our neighborhood or there's been a lot of talk on the radio or the news um about things um happening what have you heard have you heard anything what's going on you know just kind of checking in with them to assess what their baseline is because then from there you can build a conversation and do it in a way that's age appropriate and not introducing stuff that is too hard for them to understand but also being true and honest to what they do know and honoring that so i think certainly for kids of all ages but um really for the younger kids understanding what they know and starting there 
And then, as we kind of mentioned before, after you understand where um, what their knowledge is, to talk about a little bit of the history, because otherwise, this feels like it's coming out of nowhere. Like, why all of a sudden is the world exploding? You know, you know, before before this, we had Corona, and kids were we still do um, staying home from school, and they can't see their friends, they can't go outside. You know, there's so many things, and now this is happening. So, for from their perspective, it feels like the world is ending. Um, So, you need to give them some history and some context so they're like you know this is just not happening out of nowhere we are going to be here together we're going to walk through through this and we're trying to you know help make our world better so I think that's also important too is just to give them some context some history um, for sure about what's going on and then I think finally for the the younger kids I think it's really important to talk about to end on a positive note you know to say Things are really tough right now, but there are a lot of people that are really working hard to make sure that this is better for, for you and for all of us. And if you, you know, talk about history at, at every stage, you know, abolitionist, um, civil rights movement and so on, there have always been people on the forefront fighting to make sure that the world is better. And they're not always black people. They're white allies and other folks. And I think that's important to tell that part of history so kids don't um, just feel helpless that there's nothing that they can do and there's nothing anyone can do about that. For older kids, I think it's really helpful to make sure if they are feeling particularly antsy um, to get them involved uh, in a way that feels safe and feels appropriate. So we talked a little bit together about social activism, doing that social media activism, but also they can write letters, you know, they can do um, protests from home and um, other things that are still safe and make them feel like their voice is being heard. Um, So yeah, I think that's how I would approach it. And for the very little kids, if you have difficulty starting the conversation, books are really good resources, resource to do that too. They are. And with the advent of things like YouTube, they can actually see so mm-hmm. much of that. And and really, it's better than rage tweeting, right? And so <laughs> I have a question for you, Dr. Hurd Garris, for parents. And we mentioned you, I love that you said put on your own mask, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm an exercise physiologist. And that's always something that I've advocated for women, especially that we cannot mm. care for the ones we love unless we care for ourselves. So in this situation, and I'm finding myself in this situation, it can trigger, you know, our own feelings based on our own experiences. Would you like us, as we're trying to help our kids and teach them about activism, are we trying to get our kids to understand this from the view of Black Lives Matter, or do we try to get them to understand why we should be empathetic based on whatever we might have been through? But here's the bigger question. What if we've been lucky enough not to have been marginalized? How can we explain it to our kids if we don't really have the words, if we have never felt what other people have felt? How do we impart the importance, the implications of what's going on? Yeah, I think that that's why a lot of parents have avoided the conversation, partly because if you've not experienced racism, discrimination, marginalization firsthand, it's hard to talk about something you don't know fully, right? And so it feels like a scary task. What I will say is there are a lot of um, books we've talked about before, but also there's a lot of websites that help to 
um, help parents initiate the conversation. Um, there's a website that I really like called embracerace.org, and that um, that website has action guides for parents to help them, parents from all backgrounds, so white, black, and other, um, other race and ethnicities to lift children up and talk to them about topics that are hard. There's not just racism on there. I think there's also like sexism and maybe um, transphobia and other um, really hard topics. So I, I really like those kind of guides to help you start the conversation. But I, um, if, you're, if you don't have that or if you don't have access to that right now, I think being honest with children, so saying, you know, we have been really lucky that we haven't had to experience a lot of the things that we're seeing right now. And I think um, we we need to be able to use our luck or privilege, depending on how old the child is, to help other people, right? To say, to lift them up, to be able to speak out for issues that are important and hurt others, even if they don't hurt us. So I think that's really important to talk about um, how you can use your privilege, how you can use your luck if they're young um, to really help further the cause. And I think um, one of the books that I really like is uh, for white children is Whiteness, Not My Idea, because it, it, it talks about white privilege in age appropriate ways, but also doesn't say like, this wasn't my idea, so I don't have to buy into this, right? I don't have to buy into this concept and I can use um, use my advantages to help others um, and to dismantle the system ultimately. So I really like that book. And I also think it's important for um, parents to talk in age appropriate language. So for example, um, if you talk about just, you know, diversity in general and you, you talk about, um, you know, it would be really boring if everybody lived in the same exact house in the, on the same exact street that had the same exact yard. Or if they say, you know, if all the crayons in your coloring box were green, like you couldn't really fully paint the sky and how boring would that be? as an entree into how beautiful is it that we're all different. The sad part here is that even be, even though we are all beautiful and all created wonderfully, we are treated based on how we look and engaging in the conversation in that way. So, to, you know, ultimately to answer your question, I think you have to do both. I think you have to come from a position of empathy and saying, this really sucks, essentially. But then also... Um, underscoring why the differences exist. And it's not because one race or group or skin color is better than another. It's how we've treated those um, those different racial and ethnic groups and how we what we can do to make that better. Thank you so much for that answer. So another difficult question, and my kids have gone through this because of social media and because they see things like on Facebook, they see friends of theirs who they didn't think would feel this way. What do you want us to know about helping our kids to have conversations with their peers? I mean, I know that I have lost friends on Facebook and just said, I don't even want to go there anymore. I don't even want to see this anymore. But my kids, I'm starting to notice my teenage kids are getting upset that they're talking about friends who don't agree with this. How mm. do they have those conversations if they are talking to someone who's not interested in inclusion and that beautiful rainbow you were talking about and us being all different. I mean, our diversity is our strength, but our kids have some friends. Obviously, they're 
plenty of people in this country who don't feel mm-hmm. that way. Do you have any advice to talk to them? Yeah, that is a really, really tough one. I think similarly to the advice we have for parents, like putting their own oxygen mask on first, teens need to do that before they're talking to other teens or other other peers um, and decide how much they would or would not like to engage. You know, I think some some people are just in it and are ready for a, a verbal fight and there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can say that will actually change their minds. And so for a teen to kind of go into that situation, they might come out, you know, um, with more with more scars than it's what it's worth. And so I think having a conversation with teenagers, that's about like, look, you're not going to change everybody's heart in mind. And in fact, for many, for many people, their minds are set. And so there are other ways in which we can change you know, our country, change our society and policy to make life better for your friends that are that don't look like you. Um, because I don't think every conversation is worth it. You know, there are some people that Definitely aren't going to change. And I think what's hard is, like you said, if you're losing friends, and I think for white children especially, they have the most risk with respect to the loss of um, family members, the loss of friends that don't share the same ideals. Um, certainly, I guess that risk is there for um, black people and other people of color, but certainly more so for families that have different ideology that are white and really um, might be on different sides of this. So that is that is a loss and that is a huge risk you take. I mean, I can't say for sure that every kid that engages in this kind of conversation, you know, their peer is going to be receptive to it and they might lose friends. It's true. I think I'm hoping that it's in the service of what's best for our world. Um, but in the moment for a child, that might be really, really hard to, to deal with and cope with. Well, I think that it is. And before we wrap up, you mentioned that our kids can feel involved in safer ways. And with COVID right now, if our kids, our teens want to protest or, you know, we've got to discuss social distancing and masks and safety and all those things you mentioned before, what are some ways that they can get involved and how can parents model how to make a positive difference, some things that we can do so that they feel like they're involved, so we feel like we're involved and so that we can show them as in the civil rights era that change can be affected. Maybe not all the change that we would like, but some change can be affected. And and there are things that we can do to help our neighbors and our friends to assist in some of these protests, anything. So give us your best advice as we wrap up, Doctor, and tell parents listening what you'd like them to know for this very important topic today. Yeah, you know, I think I've seen the most creativity when it comes from teenagers and youth when they're figuring out how to best um, impact change with the whole issue of gun safety. Um, teens that were doing all kinds of things, whether it was online or at the time in person, I've been so inspired by this generation because they've been very creative. Um, I think some of the things that teens can do um, when they're trying to protest peacefully um, is first, if they are really set on being out amongst other people, is making sure that they are um, being as safe as possible with respect to um, coronavirus, making sure they're, you know, they've got masks, they're trying to keep a safe distance and so on. 
if teens and parents feel like that is not the way they would like to advocate um, and push for change. I think some of the things teens can do is um, start with their local spheres of influence. So that can be their peers, that can be their parents, that can be their family members, and just starting to talk about the, the issues as they see it. Um, a lot of teenagers have taken it upon themselves to educate themselves because uh, they feel like what they've learned, whether it's school or at home, doesn't fully paint the picture of where we are now. So teens have um, looked at books or um, documentaries on Netflix um, to really understand what's happening and then use that knowledge to write letters to their Congress people, to take their schools up to task on why there's the um, disparities within their school system or their neighborhoods. Um, and I think that has been really super cool to see. And they've inspired adults <laughs> to, to try to get involved and to um, fix the system as we see it. I think protests can be so many different things. Um, it can be certainly political protesting. It can be civic or social. Um, but also I think it begins with, you know, what you believe and what you're doing. So I think radically changing your thoughts and beliefs is one of the hardest things you can do. So how do you check your own beliefs and ideas when there are, um, when society is telling you that black people are inferior, you should be scared of them. Like, how do you challenge your own beliefs and making sure that you're continually, continually trying to grow and 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 push the push the ball forward in that vein. So I think there's so many levels of this um, personally, societally, in your family, and teens have been so good at figuring out where they'd like to start. I completely agree, and and many of us are feeling guilt and shame about what's happening. Maybe thinking it could be prevented, and talking to our kids, it 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 also offers us a younger perspective doctor that that I didn't realize that I could even get from my teens. They're so much more aware, as you say, and they've mm -hmm. given me some different perspective. And I just think it's wonderful to have these conversations, not because we have to have them, but it's a, it's, it's a great teachable moment for us. It's a point in history. It will be talked about for years. And I thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. Can, it can be a difficult topic to talk to your kids about, but I really appreciate you joining us and, and giving us some talking points and some help and some perspective on all of this because it's, it's really stressful and it's taking a toll along with the pandemic. So thank you so much again. You're listening to Healthy Children. All of our expert guests are provided by the American Academy of Pediatrics in conjunction with their consumer website, healthychildren.org. You can find out more information about speaking to your kids about racism at aap.org and share this show. Please share this very important show with your friends and family on social media because we're all learning from the experts at the American Academy of Pediatrics together. They are the gold standard. There are pediatricians. We love our pediatricians here at Radio MD. And you know, if you've listened to these shows, they are giving us the best advice out there. They are putting themselves really right there for us, for parents. It's not easy and we love them for it. So please share this show with your friends and family and we can all keep this discussion going. It's so very important. And you can listen to us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are played, but we want you to listen at RadioMD.com. 
I'm Melanie Cole for Healthy Children. Stay well.